0: At our home, uh, one of our biggest liturgical recurring um, uh, practices, uh, one of our greatest habits that happens, is our ever-expanding bedtime routine, uh, especially for Noah. Um, And over the last three-plus years, and especially over the last two years, um, the psalm that we're reading today, Psalm 139, has become really important to that. And... But it's just a piece, right? We, we have this, this crazy routine that Rachel's always trying to pare down. And she's going to have a microphone in a minute, so she can correct me if I'm wrong here. But like, it's not just Psalm 139. It's, it's this very particular and always kind of changing napping bracelet that we have to wear before we go to sleep. And if, if she goes down without it, we get called back. It's a certain number of sips of water that's kind of indeterminate, except for she knows how many sips of water. and, and we got to pray. we have to sing at least four verses of a hymn. Um, uh, she's gonna be like the most hymnic child. It's amazing. Uh, we, we definitely have to leave the outside light on and her sound machine has to be exactly on the right level. and then and then for some reason, like she turns from this like little three and a half year old, Uh, Anglo girl to like this like Latino minor league baseball player when it comes right before bedtime and she's got to give a high five and a fist bump and a kiss and an Eskimo kiss all in this order that she's orchestrated. It's amazing. (laughs) But like I said, Psalm 139 has become really important and it's been amazing to me how this little girl can catch on to these words. Um, how, How old do you think she was when she started like just chiming in. She was like our son's age, and he doesn't talk, and she was saying this. So he'll get there. But um, uh, <clears throat> I think the Psalms do that, or, or have the potential to do that, and, and that was one of the, the impetus uh, behind a Sunday of Psalms for us, um, to hone our ability to, to, to speak that language that vocabulary of faith and of praise. So, I'm going to invite <coughs> uh, Rach up uh, to, to to read our Psalm 139 for us.
1: Can't promise I won't cry. We um, we had our first child chose a psalm based on what we wanted them to fall asleep meditating on about God and wake up knowing about him and it's funny as we've tried to implant it in them it kind of gets re-embedded in us too. So. Psalm 139. Oh Lord you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, Even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent, your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting.
0: Thanks. So, we use these psalms, the psalm book, this book of songs, and I I think it does it does a lot of things, but I think primarily it does three things for us as as the church, as God's people. Uh, I think one of the things it does um, that's really important is this function of expression for us. It gives us a vocabulary of praise, it gives us like true words about God, and and lets us kind of hitchhike onto people before us, as Jeff said, thousands of years of people before us and their experiences with God and talking about God. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, talks about uh, this and and he talks about why we need to to say our praise, why why it's not just good enough to think about it. And he says, we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise is not merely, the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It's not out of a compliment that lovers keep on telling each other How beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it's expressed. So the Psalms give us this expression, these words, to express and complete the joy that we have in God. I think Psalms also serve this function of formation for us. And the formation bit is is when you're reading the Psalms and all of a sudden you're saying words or you're reading words that you'd never say or that you don't feel or perhaps you show up here and you're singing words that on that day aren't even close to how you feel. Whether you show up joyfully and we're lamenting with those who lament, or whether you show up in that bad place and we're singing these forever songs, praising God, the words of the psalms form us. They give us the grammar and the vocabulary and they hide it somewhere deep where we have it when we do need it. Bonhoeffer says about this, that praying the Psalms teaches us. It forms us. It teaches us to pray as a community. The deeper we penetrate into the Psalms and the more often we ourselves have prayed them, the simpler and richer our own prayer will become. It has this cumulative effect. It wears grooves into our, the way we pray and the way we think and the way we talk. And I think finally the cool thing about Psalms is is that uh, they serve this function of discovery. Man, I, I hope they do, uh, b- because that means I can come into reading them or come into singing them and not necessarily know what I'm going to find out, what the Holy Spirit's going to illumine and reveal, what I'm even going to find out about myself by actually having these words come out, like... Uh, one of my favorite writers, Flannery O'Connor, talks about she never knows what she thinks until she writes it. And I think that's kind of true with the Psalms. We, we might not even know what we think about God until we say it, until we read these words and, and we discover. Uh, Tom Wright says, the Psalms are not only poetry in themselves, but they're the cause of poetry in those who sing them, together and individually. They are God's gifts to us so that we can be shaped. There's that formation piece into his gift to the world, and so so we come together, and, and we, we come together and individually. We use these psalms to help our expression, to help our formation, and to help with our discovery in our life with God by His Spirit. And we're doing this on Mother's Day. Uh, I'm sure you've noticed that, <clears throat> and I and I think I think that's that's probably a good thing for us because I think the, the psalms. Sh- Exists in in such a, a breadth of emotion and experience that uh, that shepherds the whole gamut of our emotion and experience. So they're great on a day like this where there's a whole gamut, a range of emotions that we feel. Like even in this room, even um, concentrically out from this room, there's you know people who, like we said, for Mother's Day, it's it's a day for praise. We think of Mother's Day. That's a good thought think about the mom that we have that we love, that showed us how to how to self sacrificially love we think of of a godly mom that's cared for us and nurtured us maybe it's it's sorrow for some and there's psalms for that and sorrow um, in some of our minds for a mom who's who's died or a grandma who's died recently or whose presence is sorely missed this day kind of accents that absence. And I think churches don't don't normally do a good job of realizing that the, the, the one and the other, but also sometimes the both hands. So, some people in this room might feel anger on this day when, when you think about your mom. Maybe your mom was abusive or absent. Maybe her sin and her selfishness opened up a legacy more of the same, which maybe this day means that you need to start with forgiveness, offering forgiveness and, and seeking, experiencing, healing. And, and, and that's available too. Maybe this day is, is a regretful day for you. Maybe you're a mom who regrets how you've been a mom or, or haven't been the mom that you've wanted to be. Maybe that nags at you and kind of eats at every move you make and the enemy uses that regret against you. Know today that there's, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or maybe this day is an, an anxious day, right? It's a day where, where you, you take your inventory and you have an anxiety about what's coming or, or what you're in the middle of. Maybe fear dogs your steps, and Mother's Day just kind of highlights that, haunts you. Maybe today is a day of lament for some. Uh, Maybe it's permanent lament. um, Or maybe it's temporary lament that you can't be a mom right now or ever because of infertility, because of finances or a stage of life or singleness. Psalms have words for that, and this community has words for that. Or maybe it's a day of sorrow for for moms in and around us in this neighborhood and around the world who are abused, taken for granted, or treated with anything less than the dignity that they're half of what God looks like, the image of God. There's words for that. There's space for that. So we own these psalms, and these psalms become our songs, because we need the Spirit to put these words, all of the words, the, the wrestling words, the praise words, the trust words on our lips. We need the Spirit to hide them in our hearts for just that right moment. To give us verbs <laughs> to ascribe to God that are truthful, that reveal His being and His heart and His action for us to gather up verbs that then empower us. To, to Then there are verbs that we're the ones doing by the Spirit. We're the ones being healed and then offering healing in new life and ministry and our vocation to join God in his work in this world. So for the next few minutes, I just want to spend a few minutes considering some of the verbs in the first part of David, David's Psalm 139 that Rachel read so well the first kind of stanza. Pay attention to the verbs. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, Lord. You hymn me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Search, know, perceive, discern, be familiarized, him, lay your hand. From the jump, we find these intimate words, these, these searching words for searching God. I think I always tended to think about, like, that part, even, even reading this on a really regular basis, that, that it's like um, the type of searching, like a, like a surgeon might search, um, acquainting herself with me in order to heal me, or, or like a judge might search, weighing evidence for and against me, to be sure David means those. He, he means that kind of examination that sort of thoroughness we we might think of or use the word omniscience. But what if you have searched me? You have examined me? What if it also entails that God has searched for me? That God has searched for me. That God is not just a microscope God, but God is a, a headlamp God going to find us even when we flee, even when we've been scarce, even when we've run, crying and scared to someone who loves us a whole lot less than him. The same verb in Hebrew is used pretty regularly, pretty normally throughout the Old Testament, and, and it's the case that many of the times this searching comes up inconclusive or unsuccessful, and it's a really normal searching, like, you go to the grocery store searching for Cheerios. Searching. That's not in the Old Testament. Maybe in the message. <clears throat> now, many of the expeditions and the searching, like in First and 2 Kings, they're looking for men or food or supplies, and they can't find them. Then God uses Ezekiel as his mouthpiece to remind his people, Israel, of their past. Um, and he uses this word a couple times. Uh, and, and this is in chapter 20. He says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. On the day I chose Israel, I swore with uplifted hand to the, the descendants of Jacob and revealed myself to them in Egypt. With uplifted hand, I said to them, I am the Lord your God. On the day I swore to them that I would bring them out of Egypt into a land, I had searched out for them a land flowing with milk and honey, the most beautiful of all lands. And I said to them, each of you get rid of the vile images you have set your eyes on and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God's reminding them that he, he in searching for them, has searched out for them a future, a, a place, a, a land, and an inheritance. And, it, and they need to keep their eyes on him And remember this deliverance. Deliverance from empire and oppression in Israel to this place where they, they, they live in peace and rule under God's rule. Later in chapter 34, Ezekiel brings a harsh rebuke on, the, on behalf of the Lord to Israel's leaders. That was to the people. Now this is to the leaders, and it all has to do with remembrance. Those who were to shepherd God's people for him and, and like him, we're failing to do so. So he says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourself with wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. David's praise that the Lord has searched him and known him isn't just an appeal to God's intimacy. It is that, but it's not just that. It's praise from David the shepherd to God the shepherd for his crazy, dangerous, unfailing, consistent love that sought him out and continues to go after him. As Psalm 139 continues, David traces all the circumstances, that this like, wild route that God's taken to find him and quote, hold him fast. He says, even those times when he flees, he can't outrun God's spirit. So often we, we think we can either outrun or we think wherever we're going, that God's spirit isn't already there ahead of us, (laughs) that God God hadn't seen what's ahead, so uh, it generates this fear. Or or maybe we have a a special project or a calling or a passion or or something ahead of us, and we we say, Lord, we we just want you to bless this thing. Um, We we, we just want you to to be with us when we go. And, And certainly that's true, but don't we also already think that God's there, and he's been there and he's seen it? Like, we're, we have, like, Christopher Columbus syndrome uh, when it comes to God's spirit, that we're thinking we're discovering new land when there's, there's, God's already been there and has set up camp. That, and then he says, even in the hiddenness of pitch-black darkness, even in despair, even when there's no hope, even when he's completely blind, that our headlamp God... The Good Shepherd says, even the darkness will not be dark. The night will shine like the day. And and then he goes on to say, even hidden in his mother's womb, and this is far before like fetal dopplers and and, you know, like uh, ultrasounds. Now they have 3D ultrasounds. And the other day, they keep ramping this up. The other day, they printed a 3D ultrasound with a 3D printer. So, like, really creepily, a mom can, like, hold her baby while the baby's in her belly. That's crazy and weird. And I know insurance does not cover it. But even hidden in our mother's womb, God was, like, an expectant mother knitting us. God was doing the knitting, and God was doing the knowing. We see in Israel's history a God intent not only on searching his people's integrity, and that's so important, because he sees all and he knows all. He knows our hearts and the way that they've been distorted by the serpent's lies. The ways our hearts are bent inward to ourselves, bent towards fight or flight with others and God. And of course we call all this sin. He knows that. And this should be so obvious when we look around, or it should be obvious when we look in the mirror that this is here, that Israel's God uh, isn't just that sort of searcher, though he is, but also and maybe primarily he's a a shepherd sort of searcher. The one heaven-bent on seeking out and finding us, finding what's his that's lost and keeps losing itself. In fact, we see this in, in the Old Testament. Maybe that's a primary plot line of the Old Testament. is Israel's wandering in the wilderness, wandering like sheep without a shepherd, that recurring cycle of disobedience and, and exile and then salvation and coming back to God. And then Jesus shows up gathering sheep, especially the lost ones back into the fold. Sheep like us who have been outside of God's people, Gentiles. Sheep like us who are selfish and addicted to money and violence and self-preservation and being right and taking advantage of people and, and setting up advantage for ourselves. Sheep like us who most of the time don't even know that we're wandering That's the thing about sheep. That most of the time we're not even aware of the shepherd who pursues us. And then Jesus tells a story about sheep. And I think when he tells this parable about sheep, it's kind of like one of those, I have a friend who, when you're getting advice and you don't want to give yourself up, but he's so obvious here. Because he tells the story three times. First with a coin and finally with a son and now with sheep. And it's so obvious he can't be anonymous here. What he's talking about. In Luke 15 he says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? That's not as obvious of a question as (laughs) you'd think. But then he finds it. He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Christ the shepherd. The good shepherd. It strikes me in the life of Oak Church, in the life of our church, that we're only going to be successful if we worship that sort of God and we embody that sort of ethos in this neighborhood, that, that going, that searching, uh, where we understand ourselves in that story, because that's our story, as the sheep that has been found, as that one, um, not the 99 that, that sit around and are threatened, but, but the one who was worth all of that, <clears throat> that, that we go um, into this neighborhood, into the city, into our friend groups and our, our workplaces, and, and, and we embody um, that sort of heart and passion and care, that searching, that rejoicing, that caring for other people, um, it, it, there's people all over who are waiting for that, who are wandering, and they don't know they're wandering, and and, and that's not some sort of. <laughs> it doesn't make us better than anyone because that's our story too, uh, and and that's that's the thing about Israel is over and over, um, their their privilege, their um, uh, inheritance, their their uh, special place as God's people, um, is. Relativized and humbled, only because they're only that because of the God who called them that, the God who made them that, the God who calls them his people, who redeems them, and then includes them in his redemption of others. It, God's people is always, is always like the, the magnet and the metal filings. Um, the filings continue to, to be attracted on top of other filings and, and, until um, they're all gathered. Around that magnet. So I, I want to conclude by again kind of re, remixing that psalm by by using the the message version of it, and I, I've changed all the adjectives of the first or the uh, pronouns of the first part to third person plural. So I want to I want to pray them with us um, with all of us, and then we'll go in like we do. Uh, each week to a time of of conversation with God, of listening and and confessing, and we'll join each other in our confession. So if you'll pray with me um, as we we hear these words from the psalm. God, investigate our lives. Get all the facts firsthand. We're an open book to you even from a distance you know what we're thinking. You know when we leave and when we get back we're never out of your sight. You know everything we're going to say before we start the first sentence. We look behind us and you're there and then up ahead and you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming And going, this is much, 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 much too wonderful. We can't take it all in. Is there any place we can go to avoid your spirit? To be out of your sight? If we climb up to the sky, you're there. If we go underground, you're there if we flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find us in a minute. Because you're already there waiting. Amen.